Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental Covers Me. Com. We're not going to talk about the Celtics at all today. Far too disgusted with them to uh, to do that. And uh, we'll move on to baseball. Much more positive topic uh, these days. And we welcome back Chris Hatfield. Chris is the executive editor of a great website, SoxProspects.com. Chris, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Hey, you know, Ken, the uh, the temperatures are rising. Everyone's sneezing their brains out, but, you know, it must be spring, so what a better time to talk about baseball than now, right? Absolutely so. And the Red Sox, uh, you would have to say, Chris, are off to a, a better start than really anybody uh, could have anticipated. Well, you know, it, it's kind of funny because I think we talked about earlier, this is a team that when they put it together had – really wide error bars for what they could be. And I, I think that still stands, you know, they've, they're going really well right now, but you know, things are, things are going well in the rotation, but they, they're going to have some questions coming up. They need to answer as far as that goes. How are they going to handle James Paxton coming back? How are they going to do, you know, guys moving out of the rotation into the bullpen or down to triple a and the like, and you know, how are they going to you know handle certain things with the lineup? We've got, and Manuel Valdez playing nearly every day, which we did not see coming, right. you know, a month ago. So, you know, I think that they are showing really well right now. They, they've been one of the hottest teams in baseball over the past couple of weeks after, you know, the first week or two, some of us were ready to bury him. So, um, you know, it's, it's, things are great right now, but that certainly doesn't mean they can fall asleep at the wheel. But there's a lot to be happy about with the Major League Club right now, for sure. So far, so good. No, no doubt about that. And you mentioned Emmanuel Valdez up, up from Worcester. And uh, anybody else down on the farm right now? I mean, if the Red Sox ran into some difficulties injury-wise, they, they've had their share of injuries. But yep. anybody else down there ready to come up and help? You know, I think at this point it's getting a little thin. Um, but that said, you could hardly blame them, right? Uh, this is. I think we're on, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck coming up and being the utility guy off the bench is option like E at yeah. this point behind uh, Trevor Story, Adalberto Mondesi, who's been out for longer than I think they anticipated when they acquired him. I think they were hoping he would have been back by now, but so it goes. And then Yu Chang, who was just starting to get on track on the plate, at the plate, you know, goes down with the hamate bone injury, and then Christian Arroyo makes his annual trip to the IL. So... You know, they're a little thin there. I, 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 you may or may not have been fishing for slash people who are listening who follow us maybe hoping to hear me talk about a guy, David Hamilton, yeah. who's a shortstop who uh, is on the 40-man roster. He's been off to a great start uh, in, in AAA. He was our, uh, I think he was our player of the week the first two weeks of the season. He's been better than last year. You know, one of the thing questions we had about him was, his ability to make, you know, solid contact, you know, things like the hard hit rate, exit velocity, stuff like that. He's probably the fastest guy in the organization. Um, he's almost certainly faster than Jaron Duran, and he's by far a more effective base stealer. He stole, you know, broke the Sea Dogs record for stolen bases last year. Um, could certainly be useful in that sense, but that said, we have questions about whether he can handle shortstop defensively. So I think that's still very much an open question. You know, is he second base only? Do you want to try him in the outfield? 
Um, so I don't know that the fit is quite there yet. And plus he hits right-handed, whereas, you know, Valdez getting the shot at second base, he's there because he hits left-handed and crushes right-handed pitching. Yep. So the, the fit's not quite there the way it is for Valdez. So I know we got a lot of questions for why Valdez came up and not Hamilton. Uh, we could see Hamilton in Boston uh, sooner or later. I don't think it's necessarily in the offing right now. Um, on the pitching side, not quite as much depth there, honestly. I know they've got, you know, Brian Mata is on the 40-man, although Mata actually started last night and came out in the third inning with an apparent injury. Oh, so we're boy. waiting to hear oh, waiting to hear more on that um, to see what the deal is there. It looked boy. to me like it might have been an oblique-type thing based on the way he was kind of grimacing after his last pitch. Um, but, and you know, I think that's actually Ken going to inform what they do here. James Paxton is going to be activated for a start on Friday. All right. This is apparently the plan. Yeah. Um, Alex Cora said after last night's game that Nick Pavetta is going to make his next start and it will be on Tuesday. If you read the tea leaves on that, mm-hmm. I read that as meaning that Brian Bayo is going to get option to AAA, which ah. I know some folks are saying, well, why aren't you kicking Nick Pavetta to the bullpen? To me, I think the reason is because you need that starting pitching depth. You've already got Carter Crawford on the IL. You've apparently got Garrett Woodlock will be back sooner or later, so he's going to kick one of Tanner Houck or Nick Pavetta to the bullpen. I don't have a lot of faith in James Paxton being a reliable every fifth game starter for this team for the rest of the year, right? You're going to need to dip back in that starting pitching depth, so I think that's why optioning Bayo to AAA, where he will continue to be stretched out, is probably the right move, although it's perhaps an unpopular one among fans. So um, that will then add to that depth, which, yeah, of course he'll come back up. He's a guy who would have been comfortable in the major league rotation the whole time. So I think that's where the, the pitching depth is going to be for now. Uh, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yep. Every, everybody uh, looking ahead to Friday for Paxton's start against the Cardinals at mm-hmm. Fenway. Had a uh, a, a decent uh, rehab last week for Worcester. And uh, he's now he's going to face major league hitting, what, for the first time since 2021 against St. Louis. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, his first major league major league appearance for this team. He's he's had a 30 day rehab assignment down in Worcester. Took the full 30 days, um, which you don't necessarily always see, but in his case, made perfect sense. Honestly, you know, given the amount of time he's missed, uh, we'll see what he can give them. Honestly, I, I'm I, I'm kind of in a wait and see mode. You know, sometimes guys like that who are multi year MLB veterans, they you know. You can't really go by the numbers in the AAA rehab start, right? He had some good starts. He had some okay starts. He had some not good starts. Um, I'm, I'm curious what he'll be able to give them. I'm curious how he'll fit in this, you know, rotation, you know, uh, especially once you're starting to do things like kick Brian Bayo to AAA, kick a, a Hauk or a Pavetta to the bullpen. Um, you know, are those not, you know, is he a better starting pitching option than them? We'll see. We'll see what kind of leash they have for him. You know, I don't think they're paying him so much that they wouldn't feel comfortable if after a month it's not working, you know, moving on. And again, that's part of why you keep a Brian Bayo stretched out. Uh, but we'll see. It's a potential upside up play. No question. We'll see where it goes. All right. So what about uh, lefty Shane Drohan uh, yeah, with man. the uh, Portland Sea Dogs right now? He's uh, He's raising some eyebrows. He is. He is. You know, it's kind of funny, Ken, because, you know, going into our spring training trip, Gosh, we had him ranked somewhere in the 20s. I don't remember specifically where, but it wasn't like he was at you know 21 pushing into the top 20. Um, I want to say he was somewhere in the 22 to 25 range. And, you know, good prospect, athletic. He was a 2020 draftee out of Florida State who had a little less on the odometer for a college pitcher than typical. He had been a multi-sport athlete in high school. He also played football and um, went to Florida State and concentrated for the first time on, on baseball. 
So, you know, a little bit more to work on than the, your typical college pitcher. And, uh, yeah, he came into spring training. He had added a cutter in the offseason. He had added a couple of ticks to the fastball. And the, the fastball command and control were vastly improved. And we, you know, kind of raised our eyebrows. And in our season opening rankings, we bumped him up to 12th on, on the rankings. And we were really keeping an eye on, on what he was going to do to start the year. And he went ahead and, you know, was our pitcher of the month. <laughs> um, he's been absolutely dealing in double in A for the Sea Dogs. Um, he, we now moved him up to fifth in our May rankings update. He's our new top ranked pitcher in the system. Um, just almost kind of out of nowhere based on, you know, adding a pitch and adding, you know, a greater grade and a half to the fastball. will do that. You know, this is a different pitcher. Yeah. And he's, he's 24. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, you know, spent three years in college, correct? And, uh, yep. yep. Yeah. Or he, he might've been draft eligible sophomore, but at any rate, if he was a draft eligible sophomore, he was 21. Um, but the thing too, with ages, Ken, you got to keep in mind is with the lost 2020 development year, a lot of these guys are kind of, they're, they're older than their, their baseball age, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you got to take that with a grain of salt. But that said, you know, with the way he's throwing, it would not surprise me to see him in Worcester fairly soon. Um, you know, he did get up to double to A last year, so it's not like he's making his first appearances there this year. And once you're in triple A, you're a major league, you know, you're a potential major league option. He, uh, he's not on the 40 man yet but they're going to have to add him to the 40-man roster this offseason. So it's not like you're uh, adding him to the roster a year early and potentially costing yourself the opportunity to protect someone. But we could easily, easily see him in Fenway making starts, you know, maybe not in mid-year, but, uh, you know, in that kind of late August, September time frame, it would not surprise me at all if he continues throwing the way he has. He's been uh, probably the, the best kind of break, not probably, certainly the best breakout story in the system uh, this season so far a month in. Chris Hatfield is our guest from SoxProspects.com. He is their uh, executive editor. And uh, we're going to take a quick break here, Chris, and uh, we'll be back and uh, talk about uh, Marcelo Meyer and uh, some other prospects that uh, listeners are curious about right here on Kale & Company Live, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. And they have uh, individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Check out Delta Dental coversme.com more baseball talk coming up and at the bottom of the hour we'll talk a little golf and how it might be able to save your life we'll take a break back with more after these words don't you dare touch that dial Kale and Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Joining us, Chris Hatfield, executive editor of SoxProspects.com, a terrific uh, website if you're a Red Sox fan. And uh, Chris, let's talk about that number one prospect, as he has been for quite some time now, Marcelo Meyer, and mm-hmm. uh, and his uh, he, he has been really on a tear of late. He has. He's our reigning player of the week. He uh, he in the Greenville Drive. He's in High A right now. Played in uh, Asheville last week, which is admittedly not to throw water on the great week he had. He had nine extra base hits, which I can't remember seeing many guys have in the in the post uh, Lancaster Jethawks era. Honestly, uh, for those who have been around long enough to, to remember the, <laughs> that whole situation, which I believe you're probably one of them, but. Uh, but yeah, he he had a, a huge week down in Asheville, which is admittedly a little bit of a band box. It's like 297 down the right field line, 
um, <laughs> three twenty to right center. But that said, huge, huge week, and he had been kind of okay so far. But I think that could really serve as a breakout and a jumping off point for him. It's not like you know everybody in the lineup was hitting like he was. So he he had an absolutely tremendous week. Brought his his season line up to to being you know really solid. The kind of three hundred, four hundred, five hundred slash line you like to see. Um, and he's got that for his time in high A. He's at about 230-ish plate appearances at that level, so it would not surprise me if we saw him in Portland before too long. Uh, the Red Sox did make some promotions yesterday, including a couple of his teammates and catcher Nathan Hickey and infielder Chase Mydroth going up to A from, from Greenville. So looks like they're going to give him some more time in Greenville. You know, it's not like it's it's truly imminent, but... You know, could we see him move up at uh, at the start of June, perhaps, or something? Maybe mid June wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, you know, he's on track to if he keeps playing well, maybe get to AAA late in the year, if in September, if he if he plays well in Portland. So he's still on track. He's been doing really well. You know, he's solid all around player. I think we could see him debut in the majors at some point next year. So I think we've got kind of maybe one more year of figuring out his. Uh, you know, if when Trevor's story comes back, can he play short for, for you know, one year or three quarters of a year or something until Meyer is ready? That might be the plan, and, and we go from there. But really exciting player to, to, to have in our rankings, you know, especially with Tristan Casas graduating this month. Um, you know, seeing plenty of time up in the majors, obviously. Uh, by far our number one guy, and then a guy that, you know, stands out as kind of a top 10, top 15 player uh, prospect in all of the games. So yeah. we're still really excited about him. And he's playing really well right now, that's for sure. So making uh, that steady progress up the ladder, still only mm-hmm. 20 years old. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's there really no reason to rush him at this point. That's uh, that's not what they want to do. So for sure. Making the gradual uh, progression uh, up the ladder. What, what about uh, the, the first uh, full season now? For uh, Tristan Casas, what what uh, what have you? How do you assess yeah. what he's done so far? So uh, obviously, you know, not exactly shooting out of the gate like a house of fire, right? Uh, I think you know he's moved down to being a kind of your number seven hitter in the lineup right now. But I think the team is going to, and rightfully, will be patient with him. Um, you know, he didn't necessarily strike me as a guy that was going to come out and, and hit third for you out of the box or anything crazy like that. He's a good prospect, really good hitter. Um, can field the position well at first base, but um, you know he he's working through some things at the major league level, and that's really we like to talk about the game of adjustments that guys have to make, right? You know, see how pitchers are going to attack them, and uh, and you know adjust from there, and then the pitchers adjust to the adjustments the hitter makes. It's really a more cerebral game than a lot of people give it credit for, and I think that's what he's working through right now. He's he's still you know seeing a lot of pitches, working his walks. You know, now he needs to kind of flip the switch and get to attacking pitches and driving them. And I, you know, we see flashes. He'll 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 go deep every now and then. It's still in there. I'm not worried about him yet. You know, I see a lot of uh, Twitter chatter, which you know is never what you really want to use as a barometer for anything. But you know, there's I think there's a lot of folks out there who are ready to give up on him already. I would caution against that. You know, it, we always say player development is not linear. That includes when a guy gets to the majors. Um, you know, guys can struggle for months. Well, Even a year or two. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we'll we'll see where he goes. I, I think I think he'll adjust. I'm I'm still ready to be able to be plenty patient on him. Like you mentioned, the patience. Maybe not an easy thing to do, but I, I would advise them. You know, give him some time to figure things out. Very patient hitter. He's had some of the uh, longest at bats uh, this mm-hmm. season for uh, any any Red Sox player. Uh, has a, has a, I think a, a very good idea of the strike zone. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he's not just see ball, hit ball very much type guy, you know, which you might think when you see him and he's a, you know, a human Sasquatch in terms of how big he is. So, you know, he, he give him some time. I, I, I would advise against, uh, you know, giving up on him too early. And now is definitely way too early. I, I always think when anybody, you know, uh, starts to panic about a player in, in their first year, I, I always hearken back to mm-hmm. Dustin Pedroia. That's, yeah, that's exactly. you know, one example. That's the that example. People yeah. wanted to bench him for Alex Cora, the player. Right. You know, right. Um, they're, they're like, I think it was mid-May at that point still when he was still really, really struggling. And he goes on to win Rookie of the Year and the following year win the MVP, right? So... That's that's example one A right there is Dustin Pedroia. So just remember that plenty of guys come up and struggle for a little bit before they really get their feet underneath them. Um, you know, Xander Bogart when he first came up um, in the in the you know the end of the World Series year in 2013, he was a guy that went in there because Will Middlebrooks was really struggling and he he was just fighting for his life trying to you know work a lot of pitches and walk in in the World Series against uh, you know these same Cardinals that are going to be coming into town or, or that we're going to be fa- the team's going to be facing. So. You know, it, it it's it's not like a guy usually comes up and is immediately your best player. So that's that's part of player development. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I saw there was a, a no hitter in the uh, organization this week. C.J. Liu of, yeah. uh, of uh, Portland tossing a seven inning, uh, ninety one pitch no hitter. So uh, where where does he? I mean, he's not very highly ranked uh, among your prospects, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, how does he stack up? Yeah, not right now. You know, he he goes by CJ Lou. He he went by Chi Jung um, Lou is his, is his full name. This year he he shortened it for whatever reason. And cool, you know, uh, it works for me. But <laughs> at any rate, you know, he's a guy that's been kind of a mystery. Uh, he he had a really kind of tough situation where, you know, he signed, he was over here, and then you know, I think it was 2020. He had visa issues coming over, obviously from uh, from Taiwan, where he's from. Um, this year he's had one of the best fastballs in the system. His fastball velocity is, is in the top 10 among pitchers in the system. I think he's sitting around 94, 95 right now. So there's some juice in that arm that we really haven't seen in, in past years, although we had heard he had in him. It just hadn't really played out that way. Um, I don't think he's in our top 60 right now. If he is, he's at the very tail end. If he keeps it up and is able to show a lot more consistency, is able to string together good starts, is able to, you know, show, you know, some good stuff with the breaking pitches. We could really see him break into that top 60 and move up right now. You know, if I were to bet on if he's going to make the major majors, what his role would be, it would really be as more of a reliever, um, especially because we've seen some issues with him in terms of durability in the past. But again, sometimes that's just the guy needs to put on that good weight, needs to learn his body, needs to, you know, set, set those mechanics in place. And, and be able to stay healthy throughout a full season. Again, part of player development. It's not just all go out and, you know, put up good stats at each level. So I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in a wait-and-see mode with him, but certainly a good development to go out and, and, and throw that no-hitter. He's our, our pitcher of the week. He was the Eastern League pitcher of the week, rightfully so. Obviously, you throw a no-hitter, <laughs> you're going to get some, 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 uh, some plaudits. So, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, good development for him. I'm I'm always curious about uh, Blaze Jordan. I mean, he's been on the scene for, yeah. for so long in the baseball world. Currently uh, in Greenville, uh, how mm-hmm. how is he faring? He's been okay. Um, it, it's been interesting because that that infield has been so stacked. We mentioned Meyer. I mentioned my draws, and they have a couple more top, you know, top twenty, top twenty five prospects in Edinson Paulino and Brian Arbonasi, who are there as well. So he's mostly been playing first base more or less out of necessity just to get everyone in the lineup. 
Um, you know, the pop is there. He's been okay. He's not really standing out to me. He's always kind of had a, a, a more famous, uh, well, you know, a more eye-catching name, but also a more famous name, you know, for his kind of, 15 year old hitting home runs at major league ballparks videos on YouTube that he, that he had when he was younger. Um, but you know, we're in wait and see mode. There's, there's certainly a lot of pop in there. And if you, you know, sometimes something will just click for a guy, you know, he's another guy who's right on that path. Uh, that's a, you know, the 2020 draft class, it's kind of funny. It includes Shane Drohan and includes blaze Jordan, um, includes Jeremy Wu Yelland, who's recovering from Tommy John surgery. But then of course you've got Nick York at the top. Who's had something of a, you know, breakout return this year where he's, he's playing a lot better than he did last year in an injury marred season. So that class is kind of having a pretty good year. And, and Jordan's just in the sort of holding steady um, for that group, uh, you know, maybe status, but, you know, we'll see what he can put together as kind of the season, you know, gets going, you know, in month two, month three, see how guys settle in at a level. Um, you'd like to see him get to double a probably sometime mid year just because I think that's the level that's really going to challenge him. Uh, that's where pitchers can throw all their off-speed pitches in, in any count. They have a little better command than they do at the A-ball levels, and, and I think that's really going to be the best test for him and where we can really get a barometer for what he's going to be in the majors. And on that note, Chris, unfortunately, we're going to have to uh, wrap things <laughs> up. I, I know we could we could talk forever about these prospects, and uh, and uh, we'll, we'll have you back in the not-too-distant future. If that's okay with you, and of uh, and, and talk some more baseball and Red Sox prospects. The website is soxprospects.com, and I know, uh, Chris, you have a, uh, a podcast on there as well. Yep, anywhere folks find their podcasts, just search for Sox Prospects Podcast. We're on there, and you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Prospects, and they can follow me at SP Chris Hatfield. All right, very simple. Chris, thanks so much, as always. Much appreciated. Thanks, Always a pleasure, my man. All right, Chris Hatfield, executive editor of SoxProspects.com. Terrific website. I mean, you won't believe all the information that's on it. We'll take a break, and then we'll come back and talk with a gentleman who says, golf can save your life. Check that out. We'll take a break. Back with more. Kale and Company right here, WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com. Kale and Company here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental and uh, very pleased to welcome to the uh, program the author of a uh, new future bestseller How Golf Can Save Your Life. And uh, Drew. I, I want to pronounce your last name correctly. Is it Millard or Millard? It is Millard, but okay. I'm not picky. Okay. Well, Drew Millard. That's that's the way I was going to say it. Uh, okay. And, and uh, we, we're glad you could join us today. And uh, it's a very in, intriguing title for the book. And uh, in many ways, uh, golf has saved your life. Yes, yes. Um, I want to be clear. Uh, golf has not literally saved my life like i didn't <laughs> i didn't get shot and plug the hole with a golf ball or anything right. but um yeah i a few years ago i was really burned out from a job as a journalist in an online newsroom and i moved back to western north carolina where i grew up to convalesce and 
I had played golf as, you know, a child, middle school, high school, but had really left the game behind for a few years. And as part of my sort of recovery from burnout, I rediscovered golf um, in Western North Carolina, where I'm from. There are so many beautiful golf courses, and I was able to play on a lot of them and quite frequently. And by doing so, golf really helped me externalize the issues that I was going through and give me something else to focus on um, in a way that helped So I know you you say in the book that you would uh, put the golf clubs away in, in your parents' basement for uh, any number of years. What what was it that uh, you know put you over the edge and and finally decided to get back out and and play some golf? Um, well, you know when you are recovering from any sort of like you know, depressive or burnout episode, one of the things they always tell you, um, in addition to, you know, talk therapy, which is very, very important, and a potential uh, medication regimen is to get exercise. Because, you know, exercise gives you endorphins, which make you feel good. And I, unfortunately, uh, I'm not a big exercise guy. And so I really had to figure out, you know, how to thread that needle. And so initially, golf was just sort of a a thing that I threw out uh, just to, like, you know, have something to do that was physical. And I ended up, you know, my first day back on the course just, like, fell completely back in love with golf. And, and and did you uh, walk the course or did you take a cart? Oh, you gotta you gotta walk the course. <laughs> that's how you that's how you get you know that exercise because um, walking eighteen holes that's usually you know that's a good amount of miles. And it also I find uh, you know helps you feel really really connected to the course itself, the nature that you're in. Now you love the game. I know you do, and and that uh, that comes through on, on just about every, every page of the book. Uh, you, you really do have a deep, uh, I would say, emotional connection to golf. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I would say so um, because you know it is tied to such a such a key moment in my life where I was recovering from you know, some, some not great episodes. And so, you know, I feel like I am a better and, you know, more balanced and quite frankly, stronger person as a result of playing golf. And so it really does mean a lot to me. I know you talked about uh, your depression and how a golf uh, helped you through that. But, uh, you know, how much was uh, COVID a factor to you getting back to golf? And, and not only you, uh, but, but so many others getting into the game for the first time. So that's a great question. So I had been playing golf. Uh, I sort of came back to golf in 2016. Um, so I've been playing again for quite some time. However, you know, 
the the COVID stuff, that was such a huge factor in getting people all over America and the world back into golf or into golf because you know, if you remember during those early lockdowns um, where I was living, and this is true for a lot of places in America, there the only thing that was open tended to be like public golf courses. And so that became, they became this like locus of people getting together and hanging out, getting exercise, seeing their friends. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, I believe that they, that from 2019 to 2022, uh, about 2 million new golfers uh, came to the game. And that's an increase of about one-third. Yep. And so since then, you know, the character of golf has really been altered by all of these new people because most of them are young. They're really in it uh, purely for, like, the recreational aspect of it. Like, it's almost like hiking, but with you know, in golf clubs. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, you know, let's face it, uh, most of us are hackers. I mean, the vast majority mm-hmm. of people that uh, are on the course are, are hackers to a certain degree anyway. I, I know I am to a large degree a hacker <laughs> anytime I go out there, uh, which is uh, not enough uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, you are uh, really into the, the history of golf, uh, the legends of the game, uh, did that start uh, at an early age? Um, yeah, actually. So I grew up in a town called Tryon, North Carolina. It's a really small town uh, in western North Carolina. And, well, the town itself is famous mainly because Nina Simone grew up there. Oh. And, yeah, she's an incredible, she was an incredible artist, activist. Um, and there's actually a statue of her in the downtown now, but, uh, you know, we also had a course in town designed by the great architect, uh, Donald Ross, sure. who is, you know, he made Pinehurst. Uh, that's probably one of his bigger achievements. And so I, you know, from about middle school on, I really understood the significance of golf history because I was playing, I was playing golf on that history. And, you know, as I got older and became more interested in, you know, things like, uh, you know, workers' rights and things like that. By the way, since I'm on the radio, I just want to express solidarity with, the uh, Writers Guild of America. Um, But, you know, as I really learned that golf was originally this folk sport where it was, you know, it was invented by Scottish peasants uh, who were just using what they had around them to, you know, kill some time and have some fun. Who who first uh, exposed you to the game? Uh, That would be my dad, uh, my father. Um, guy named Andy Millard. He was a golfer, and when I was about seven or eight, he got me a little little set of clubs. Uh, I believe they were called Pal Joey Club. <laughs> and he would take me out with him, and it was really like 
you know, part of this formative bonding experience that I had with my dad. Well, and that's that's the way it started for uh, for any number of us uh, going mm-hmm. out on the golf course. It it can be uh, when when you're that young, when you're you know like seven years old, uh, it, it can be kind of an intimidating experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you know you don't know what's going on anyway, that's and now you're doing this completely new thing. Yeah, and you're playing on a Donald Ross course, so I mean that. <laughs> There, yeah, there, yeah. There you go. Not 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 a bad deal. But uh, yeah. Drew, can you stay with us for a few more minutes? Absolutely. I've got time. All right. Drew Millard is with us, and he's the author of uh, an upcoming bestseller, How Golf Can Save Your Life. And uh, such such a great book. It, it really and truly Thanks. is. Lots of great anecdotes in here. And even, even, you know, what to do to start playing golf, which is uh, terrific. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be back with the Drew Millard right after these words. It's Kale and Company live on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Our guest, Drew Millard, author of How Golf can save your life. And uh, Drew, the uh, book is uh, broken down into uh, 11 chapters, beginning with the two words, how golf, and fill in the blank with chapter one being how golf saved my life. Let, let's just uh, look uh, quickly at a, a few of the, the chapters as, as you talked about how it, it, it helped you uh, get your life uh, back on track. Uh, okay. ch- chapter two, how golf Taught me about creativity. Uh, yes. So that chapter is really about the genesis of golf uh, among, you know, Scottish shepherds who were by the seaside um, and in like the 15, 1600s. And there was during that time there was a an edict passed down from the king that uh, this area called the Lynx Land, which was between the seashore and the farmland, it was it was the link between it, uh, was declared to be for public use, and um, these uh, and so these shepherds generally, um, started, you know, going down there just to, like, have fun uh, and, like, hit these sheep's knuckles around. And they ended up sort of inventing golf based on the natural way that the land was sculpted and the different parts of a golf hole are actually based on where different animals would graze on the links. And so where the sheep grazed was, you know, ended up being the fairway where the rabbits grazed because the rabbits are so close to the ground, the grass was shorter, that ended up being the green and where the horses grazed, which were, uh, you know, obviously they have long necks, they're further away from the ground, that ended up being the rough. There you go. And so I 
sort of write about how this spirit of creativity through the history of the game, you know, we can, uh, you know, take that into our own lives and really like interpret the world around us in these new fun ways. Uh, Chapter five, how golf made me a better son. That is about how my relationship with my dad has been strengthened by golf. Um, You know, whenever I get to see my dad, we usually go out and play together. And, you know, when I was growing up, especially as a teenager, you know how teenagers are. They're all moody and stuff. And I would uh, get so frustrated because, you know, I was, I was one of those kids who I grew six inches in like a year when I was 14. And so suddenly I became completely uncoordinated and I was still trying to play golf and it just wasn't working for me. And I would get so frustrated. My dad would be like, fine, fine. And would end up, uh, you know, trying to help me work through these things. And I didn't really understand at the time, but now that I've been, you know, once I started playing with him as an adult, I really understood what he was trying to do, which was like use golf as a way to help me prepare for, you know, adulthood where, you know, I would have to take care of my own messes that I made. And uh, let's hit on chapter 11 because I, I think um, many of us fall into this category, how golf mm-hmm. gave me the strength to suck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's really about how, you know, uh, while writing the book, I became, I sort of developed this mentality of like, I've got to get really, really good at golf. Otherwise nobody's going to take me seriously. And it, so there was a little bit of time while writing the book that I was like really focused on like getting my handicap down. And because I was so focused on it, uh, I couldn't do it. And I ended up playing worse. And so, you know, at a certain point I sat back and said, you know, something, something's going on here. And I need to accept the fact that, you know, I'm not playing that great right now. And that, you know, maybe I need to remember I should be having way more focus on fun. And once I did that, I actually started playing way better. It was like, uh, you know, it was just like a letting, letting myself be and exist on the golf course rather than trying to impose my will on it. Just go out there and, uh, you know, have a little bit more Happy Gilmore inside you, I guess, huh? Yeah, although Happy Gilmore, if I remember, that's a great movie. If I remember, he would always get mad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are going to be uh, a lot of people who uh, who read this book uh, that have have never, never held a golf club uh, in their life or watched any golf on, on TV and and you were kind enough at the at the end of the book to uh, include a how to play golf 101. And even for those who have played, uh, it's it's uh, very detailed and 
and very informative, and I, I really applaud you for that. That, that uh, was a, a terrific section of the book. Thank you. Yeah, I put that in because, you know, golf is it's something that more and more people have become interested in. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, there's been about a 33% increase in new golfers in America since the pandemic. And a large number of those people are just sort of coming out there with no background or basis in the game, and they're looking for help. And, you know, I also want this book to be accessible to people who don't necessarily golf. Because one way that I think about the book is that it's about being obsessed with something that is outside of yourself. And using that to, you know, make your life better, put your life into perspective. And I think that that sort of obsession is very healthy. Um, And it can be something like, you know, yoga or hiking or building model airplanes. It doesn't have to be golf uh, in order for it to be very meaningful for you. You know, you you talk about uh, hating uh, sand shots, and I don't know of too many people that really do and enjoy them. What, what what's the best part of your game? Uh, the best part of my game. What's funny is now it actually is uh, my short game, and I'm pretty good at bunker shots now. I ended up. Uh, I live in Philadelphia. Uh, sorry about last night, and we uh, and we joined a club that has so many uh, bunkers that I just sort of naturally got good through at that through repetition. And um, yeah, I would say short game. Um, I'm really good at doing like different types of chips and pitches and flop shots. And um, it really saves my butt all the time. I, I, you know, terminology, you have uh, all the terminology of golf uh, in, in the book uh, as well. I liked uh, water hazard, and, and I, I quote here, there is a joke, the main hazard of golf is playing at all, but uh, we know that's not true, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely have, I definitely have heard that joke before. <laughs> I did not make it up. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was, that was really a joke about how golf is a tough sport and even if you're good, it can feel like, you know, there's always room for improvement. And I think one of the great things about golf, uh, that I really try to touch on and how golf can save your life is that sense of almost like an addictive sense of futility, if that makes sense. I think it does. I, I, I think it really does. And, uh, you know, just go out, as you said, go out and have fun because most of us are hackers and we have to accept that fact. And <laughs> just just have a good time, try to improve. But, you know, most of us are never going to make the tour, that's for sure. But, uh, mm-hmm. but Drew, thank you so much. It's a terrific read, uh, even for those who don't play golf. Uh, once they read this book, they will, in all probability. I, I, I have trouble enough with, with the windmills on the miniature golf courses. 
So, and, 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 <laughs> Drew, thanks so much. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. And the windmills, they're all about timing. That's right. Timing timing is everything in life. Mm-hmm. Drew Millard, thanks so much. We uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. The book, How Golf Can Save Your Life. It's out there, folks. Hey, 53 years ago today, Mother's Day, 1970, Bobby Orr scored that amazing overtime goal to give the Bruins a 4-3 win over the St. Louis Blues and a four-games-to-none victory to win the Stanley Cup 53 years ago today. How about that? I was there at Boston Garden for that one. We will take a break and uh, come back tomorrow. And if you missed any of the show or just want to hear it again, 7 o'clock tonight, right after 7 o'clock update, right here, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com.